Today on Sagittarian Matters, we bring you a very special election episode where we talk strategy, voting, and how to beat despair with my good friend, labor organizer and activist, Amanda. Stay tuned. Turned off the debate, can't hear his voice anymore. He wasn't cute before, and he's not cute now. He's trying to start civil war. Believe it or not, I hate fascism. Hello from the Sagittarian Matters Social Distancing Studios in Portland, Oregon, where we bring you this special lead-up-to-the-election edition of the show. Listeners, If you are feeling dread and disgust and overwhelmed after the debates this week, if you are even triggered hearing the D word now, please know that you are not alone. And furthermore, it was his strategy to make debates and the entire process seem as disgusting and worthless as he is so that we could give up on democracy, decide that it's all rigged or that our votes don't count and just go hide under the covers. That's a real thing. We talk about it with Amanda later in the show. I do want to remind you, just for fun, of the time at Aretha Franklin's funeral when that pastor got up and called the person who's the sitting president a lugubrious leech. Were you watching that? It was incredible. If you weren't watching and you don't know what I'm talking about, please just Google the term lugubrious leech and you will find this person's tear. It was remarkable and it was broadcast on live TV. Anyway, this week, please take good care of yourself. Tune that joker's stupid voice out you know who i'm talking about and do what you need to do so that you can keep showing up this final month before the big day keep showing up we need you here we need you on planet earth we need you healthy and we need you in this marathon that is social justice like beth pickens said on the show last week it's a marathon not a sprint so please do what you need to do Today, I'm going to pretend to be Rachel Maddow, as I have a friend from D.C. join me on the podcast. Amanda, formerly known as an anonymous butch guest, is a labor organizer and a lifelong activist who lives and works out of Washington, D.C. Amanda is a gay homosexual, longtime friend to the show, and since she works so closely with politics, she's who I go to when I need to know how to vote, when I need to remember there's an adult in the room in Washington, and when I want someone who has a vague idea of what's going to happen next. Amanda joined us to talk about voting, what we can do, how we can talk to people about voting, despair as a diabolical design, and how to best use your energy for this coming election. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned. show because you're a person who I know since you are a lifelong activist and professionally so I thought of you when I thought about trying to tell listeners what they could do on a practical level in this moment if they're feeling despair and they wanted to turn that into action Mm -hmm. um 
And you're somebody who I go to if I need like a voter guide, if I just want to know like, how do I vote on these things on my ballot that I don't completely understand? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, You know, weird, like little tiny local races that I'm like, I don't know. Or when I've said like, should I vote in California or Oregon? Like I've come to you for your opinion on things just because I respect your opinion. And so I come to you today. uh, The country itself is in a pit of despair. And... I know I have a lot of listeners who are probably very well-meaning and also feeling the stress of what's going on. And so I wonder if you have any practical things that people can do before the election to feel like they did what they could do to help sway the election without throwing themselves into traffic. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's Well, it certainly is an election that makes you feel that way. Um, and I think, like, so part of the dynamic, I think that's really frustrating people is that this election is is one that's had just so much like blatant disenfranchisement and like attempts at trying to like suppress the vote um and 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 just a lot of like confusion and misinformation and trying to like lead people to despair. And so if anything I try not to despair because that makes me feel like Donald Trump is getting what he wants. He wants me and people like me to give up and just like lay down and be like, I can't deal with it anymore. And so I, I tell myself I will continue to deal with it and I'll take the best care I can of myself, but that I'll continue to do what I can, when I can, where I can. Um, and then I also try to remind myself that giving up is a privilege, that uh, that not everybody gets to just sort of walk away. And so I, I try to remind myself that even if I would like to just sort of forget about it all, that there's there's a lot more on the line um, and, and that I kind of owe it to my beliefs in the world uh, to sort of keep going. So what are some what are some concrete things we can be doing? One is going to sound kind of like nerdy, but if you haven't done the census yet, do the census. Every Ooh. 10 years, we all get counted. And the census drives so much from your representation in Congress, how many representatives your state gets, the funding for different programs, Um, All of that gets decided every 10 years based on the census. And so it's really the easiest thing you can do. It takes 10 minutes. You can do it online. Um, I want to say the website is uh, census2020.gov. I'll double check it and uh, and get back to you on that. Um, But it's, it's, it's really simple to do. So that's one thing. The second thing I can do, I I would say, it's 2020census.gov, not census2020.2020census.gov. The second thing is win this election and win it big. And I'm not going to say that, you know, I feel the most inspired by my candidate choices right now at the top of the ticket, but I feel very inspired to take the power away from Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell that they have. So the fact that I'm like, so, so sad for the loss of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and for her replacement to be a, uh, an extremist and somebody who is coming to the court to try to undo things that we've won over the last few decades. Um, that is happening because Mitch McConnell has a Senate majority and he has the power to make it happen. Um, and the only thing that we can do is to take that power away from them. And the only way we can do that is, is through an election. And they want us to believe 
that an election won't work and that like, like oh like it's already all decided or like the Illuminati I don't know like what pick your conspiracy theory but no like look elections have consequences they matter we should make a choice and we should participate um and participation does matter no matter what Donald Trump wants us to think um and one really interesting thing that I've seen about this election so far is that the higher the turnout is, the more Donald Trump loses by, which makes sense. He's a deeply hmm. unpopular person. And so anything you can do to increase turnout, you're most likely increasing the proportion of votes that go against Donald Trump. So, yeah, do you have a question? Ways to increase turnout. Mm. I was doing some creepy postcards last night. Oh, yeah. Um, so I ordered this stack of postcards. I will share the website I got them from later, but because um, I don't have it in front of me. But the postcards are handwritten postcards that, you, that are sent to people in swing states. In this case, it was Georgia. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hello, so-and-so. Thank you for being a first-time voter. Who you vote for is secret, but whether you vote or not, is public information. After November 3rd, your records will go public and local organizations may contact you mm-hmm. to discuss your voting record. Yeah. Signed, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> and it felt a little bit like, have you checked the children lately? Like, yeah. <laughs> just so you know, we're here and this is handwritten. But <laughs> we, I was talking to you about it and you were telling me how that actually works. Yeah, so... You know, there are people who've spent their entire careers trying to figure out how to get Americans to vote. We are, broadly speaking, not a very civically engaged group, right? We can be a pretty difficult to motivate group, um, and we don't we don't generally... Uh, well, there's a good proportion of people who just don't vote that often, and it takes a lot of sort of encouragement to get them to vote. And what they've found is that for people who are infrequent voters or who have not yet voted, and this might be their first time getting out, is that what's called social pressure is really effective at getting them to vote. And so you can think of it as like, it's like the election version of peer pressure. So you're being like the mean girls who are like, you know, if you don't vote, I don't know if you can sit at our lunch table anymore. But it really is sort of like creating some sort of like, um, both, it starts with, you know, you sort of lead with a positive. You start by calling somebody a voter and say, like, Nicole, you're a voter. And as a voter, yeah. you know, right? Like, but you, like, address somebody as a voter and sort of, like, proactively create that idea of, like, you are somebody who votes. We know that. And then you want to also create a little bit of a, like, fear of embarrassment of, like, oh, I don't want, like, oh, people can find out if I don't vote. Like, I'm a voter. I know I, you know. And so... That has actually had a better impact on improving turnout and getting people to vote than appealing to people on their civic duty, um, on trying to convince people to vote at the last minute based on like, but this candidate really needs you. Like this idea of like, look, you're a voter and people are going to know whether or not you voted is one of the most effective ways to actually get people to, motivated to vote. It has the, the one of the highest impacts. And so those sort of uh, uh, social pressure appeals can feel creepy, but can also be an effective way to get people to vote. And it's true. Nobody will ever know how you vote. Um, but voter, uh, the 
voter file is available to different organizations and people can know who are frequent voters and who are infrequent voters and which elections you actually voted in. So. So do you recommend people um, doing phone banking, text Mm -hmm. banking, sending out postcards? Is there something, if somebody has limited bandwidth or time, but they do want to help in some way, what do you feel like is the most effective way they could help for this election? The most effective way you can help in a presidential election is to have conversations with people you know that live in battleground states. So in states where it's going to be close or where there is a Senate race that might be close, right? Because the, as we know, the Senate holds a lot of power. Um, and so like, that's kind of the gold standard is like, if I talk to you, right? Like when friends talk to each other, it's actually like, it's a meaningful conversation. That's like 10 times more powerful to somebody than getting a, a phone call from a, a stranger. Um, and so talking to your like friends and family that live in these battleground states, so places like Pennsylvania, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, Nevada, Arizona, Minnesota, Florida, uh, either of the Carolinas, Georgia, right? Like these are places where there are big um, races at stake and that a little bit of a nudge from somebody who knows them could actually get somebody off the fence or could help them get the information they need to vote. This is the thing that I've been the most sort of uh, interested in figuring out this election, which is how do you, how do we make sure that people are going to get voting information that makes sense to them and that they can trust because a lot of people are going to be voting differently than they ever have before. So like, We've voted in Oregon, and we are very familiar with mail-in balloting, and we know that it is a very secure and easy way to cast a vote. Other people, especially in this climate where there's been a lot of disinformation spread about mail-in voting, don't understand the process, and there's a lot of sort of opportunities if somebody is totally new to it to do something that makes their ballot not get counted, right? So, like little things from like putting X's instead of filling in the bubbles to um, not signing the back of your envelope, uh, things like that. And so making sure that the people you know have the information they need. So if they're going to vote by mail, they understand how to do it. They know that they can ask you for help if they need it. Um, After that, I would say anything that sort of the closer you can get to that kind of thing. So approximating like a a human connection, like a relationship, the better. So like after that, I would say, yeah, phone banking is a great thing to do because at least then you're like a human being talking to another human being. Um, It's not the same as talking to somebody, you know, already, but it's pretty close. Um, After phone banking, then comes text messaging Um, and text messaging and like postcard writing, like those sorts of things that are like a human being is reaching out to me. Um, and then probably like, you know, the thing that a lot of campaigns spend a lot of money on, but that I'm always wary of the effects of is like, you know, what people see on TV and the advertisements. Um, but yeah, really just trying to connect with other human beings and have like real genuine conversations with them and try to just make sure people don't get disenfranchised and actually vote.
Today's episode is brought to you by Maria Turner Carney, Emily Helmus, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, Christy Herod, Mary Pinson, Michelle Lemoyne, and Joey Soloway. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, in particular producer Chris Sutton, please send $5, $5 million via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet like the insect, leg like its appendage at gmail. Or, this just in, producer Chris has got a Venmo, Hell Books on Venmo. That's H-E, double hockey sticks, books. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it too. Don't be scared, that's just Ponyo's speaking voice. Um, can you think of things that are, that on the flip side of this, we've been talking recently on the podcast about how maybe it's not the best use of your energy to fight with like a family member who you already know is dug in Mm -hmm. on their side of the sand. Yeah. That maybe that energy is best spent trying to talk to somebody else, either somebody through phone banking or somebody more friendly, because maybe for those people who already know your stance, because you've said it a million times at Thanksgiving, maybe for that person, hearing it from a stranger or from someone else might be just a different angle. Yeah. Are there things that you can think of that seem like maybe that seem like a just just to reiterate, like a waste of your energy during this time, such as like fighting with people on the Internet? Oh, yeah. Or, like, fighting with people in the Facebook comments or, like, fighting just once again with someone's Republican dad. Like, are there things that, like, you know, where that kind of one-to-one yeah. ratio back t- t- backtracks on itself? Um, or just takes your energy? Yeah. So, I would say, like, trying to engage, yeah, in, like, fighting and... So, f- frequently when people, like get really negative it's really easy to sort of get drawn into that right and it's like there's i there's some sort of like dopamine hit i think you must get off of like starting to fight and feel like yeah i'm gonna tell you give you what for and then like everybody is really just sort of like retreated to their corners and like lobbing bombs at each other and yeah and nobody is getting anywhere um and it just like drains you and you get into this like cycle of feeling more and more angry um I have actually, and I've probably talked to some people's, like, grumpy uncles and kooky aunts because I've done a bit of, like, voter outreach, um, just sort of, like, cold calling and texting. The thing that I have found when I do this with strangers, and I'm not, I'm, I don't know how this would work with your own, like, family and friends, but is I try to really embrace the idea of, like, radical empathy. Some people are a lost cause and they don't care about your empathy, but I've found that, like, I can at least embarrass people for being mean by um, by reminding them that we probably agree about a lot of things, too. Like, if they're worried about health care, you know, they think that Obamacare is socialism. But, like, we probably can agree that we want people that we know and love, and even people we don't know and love, to be able to be cared for and to, and to get health care when they're sick, right? And, and, like, when you can get people to start from a place of, like, here's some basic things we can agree on like we have a basic foundation of respect for other human beings and then sort of build from there like i've found that that has opened up some doors to have conversations with people um but i've also found that people that have like gone to the trump side 
like have just doubled down for a lot. Like that is, a, so I guess that's a strategy that's worked for me with people who are just like frustrated with the system, you know, kind of like put off with politics in general and they like don't want to talk to you about it. And if you can sort of like pull it back to like, let's talk about some of the things that politics impacts in our lives and that we care about and like sort of be like, I can understand why you're angry. Like there's a lot to be angry about. There's a lot to feel frustrated about. I don't feel hurt either. Like, and you're right. Like things are messed up. Um, and sort of like give people some like, yeah, I can agree with you. I can see, I can see your point. Even if I don't agree with you, um, uh, I can sort of like see you. That has helped me get through some of these conversations. Not all of them have like ended positively, but certainly like have gotten to a more, uh, rational place with people. And some of them do end with people being like, okay, I'm going to like, I'm going to get back into this and actually like not give up on it. And so that's kind of the, the golden moment that you're trying to get to. Um, but yeah, like I try to be connect with people as much as you can and like create a connection even with strangers and then work from there. Um, and try not to like take it personally when people get like, um, I mean, I feel like there's, there's lots of good little one-liners about this, but you know, like when people are like being awful to you, it's more a projection of them than it is of you, right? Like the whole, like when you're pointing one finger at someone else, you're pointing three back at yourself, right? So like all of that sort of stuff, right? Like if somebody is being like really nasty, it's not, it's not you, it's them very much so. So I don't know, it feels a little rambly, but that's some of like how I try to think about talking to total strangers that could possibly apply to talking to your family, but also like know when you're not going to make it like make somebody's mind change and don't take it upon yourself to do that. Like there are lots of people who are sort of in like this middle area where they're like, Oh, I feel frustrated with everything. And those are the people that it makes a lot more sense to talk to spending your energy fighting with people who are like stuck all the way on the far right. Like is just taking our energy away from talking to the people who are like disenfranchised or confused or frustrated or in the middle somewhere uh, that could actually make a difference. Great. Do you have any other strategic tips for talking to people? Say you have, like, I was thinking right now, I'm on Facebook mostly for family members. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you ever see me post on Facebook, it's probably to say like, there was a disaster and I'm safe. <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, I just, it's very rare that I just go on Facebook just to like, Hey, what's up? It's mostly for family members. So I, it's like it's sending a group text. So if I, as a queer feminist person who enjoys rights and, you know, supports a variety of pro-trans and anti-racist issues. So I care deeply about this election and about things that my family members don't see affecting me mm -hmm. in a particular way, but I really would love to like bring them around to my side is there any kind of phrasing or any kind of thing that you as an organizer know can spark empathy or make people be like, oh, I, I care about that person. Oh, this election's going to mm -hmm. affect them. Like if I was going to post one, just one passionate plea on Facebook to my family members, some of whom live in Ohio, mm -hmm. Georgia, Texas, Kansas. Um. Don't, I don't know that there's one Facebook post that... I, I'm going to fix it with one Facebook yeah. post. <laughs> um, I mean, 
the thing that I the thing that I always fall back on is that no matter where we fall in sort of the political spectrum, we still we have more in common than we do different. And that at the end of the day, um, if you at the end of the day, if we make a genuine effort to understand each other, um, and if you allow yourself to be known by people who don't know people like you, right? So there have been like all of these studies done on like deep canvassing where queer people go out into these rural communities and they talk to people who have been like anti-queer everything, like marriage, employment, right? And then they go and talk to them like, hey, my name's Amanda. This is my wife. Here's a picture of our two children. We don't want to hurt you. I'm glad that you're happily married. I like hope that you stay that way for a long time, right? And like, and they get to know somebody, and then they're like, "Oh, well, I don't see any horns. Like, you're not you're not trying to like you know convert me or like drag me out to a disco." Um, and and that sort of like realness is what changes people's like beliefs in a in a longer term sense. Um, in a like, are we gonna win an election in forty days? Like that's that's a longer term sort of thing. The um here's the thing, actually, the thing I would say is that anybody that's worried about how am I gonna convince people who like say they love Trump and they wanna vote for Trump to not do it because they need to like not continue to destroy our democracy, is that you don't need to worry about them. They're far outnumbered by people who are terrified of Trump, by people who are disgusted by Trump. And that the only thing we need to worry about right now is making sure that everybody gets to vote and that everybody's vote gets counted. And if that happens, then even with the the flaws of the Electoral College, Trump will not be able to retain the presidency. And he likely is going to drag all of the Senate Republicans down with him. So um, I don't think that we actually need to worry about converting the Trump people. And I I think there will be some interesting social science studies to be done for decades to come on what has happened with the Trump supporting crowd and the sort of cult-like following that he has developed. Um, but at this point, it is, in a lot of ways, you're just wasting your breath and you should just move on because they are a very vocal minority and the key is not convincing them. The key is to find more people, help them vote, make clear to them how mail-in ballots work. Yeah. Send them handwritten postcards that sound vaguely pressuring, <laughs> vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> vaguely stalkerish. Yeah. And here's the other thing I would say is on the presidential election, there are certainly states where it's going to be closer and states mm-hmm. where, you know, like I have plenty of friends who live in deep red states that they know are not going to go, that are, you know, we already know are probably going to go to Trump. And I have plenty of friends in deep blue states. But the thing is, is no matter where you live, you should still vote. Everybody should vote. And if, you know, if the lesson of the Senate doesn't teach you that, that, you know, we're going to, they're going to steal a Supreme Court seat um, because they can, um, there's things happening every day in your city, in your county that are controlled by people who've been elected. And if you decide that you're going to sit this out because you know that the presidential election's already been decided where you live, 
like you're deciding to sit out on a lot of other elections too that you might have a, a that you're saying could make a difference in right so i live in an area that is of washington dc washington dc is like i think 97 percent democratic voter registration um I have been very active in the election for my uh, uh, city council person because I wanted to elect somebody who is not just sort of like a corporate Democrat and like a shill for the mayor, but somebody who is going to be like a, a strong, progressive, like radical voice on the city council. And, you know, these these elections, like she won and uh, in the primary and she doesn't have an opponent in the general. And it was... Like, she won with, like, 4,000 votes. 4,000 people voted for her. Like, that's what it takes to become, like, a city councilwoman in Washington, D.C. And so I think that there are plenty of other elections where you can have an impact. And especially if you're, like, a person who feels, like, unenthusiastic about the centrist candidates further up the ticket the further down the ticket you get the further down your ballot you get into the smaller and smaller elections the more opportunity you have to vote for these like very progressive candidates and people who um can can really like speak to your ideals um and that you can like actually go talk to and get to know and like help help move on things that are happening in your community Hi listeners, it's me, Nicole. If you would like to support me and Ponyo, in particular our comics and animal illustrations, go to patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. And for as little as $2 a month, you can have access to hundreds of pages of otherwise unpublished diary comics. For the price of one cold brew plus tip, you can become an honorary Sagittarian. And for the price of two vegan cupcakes or two vegan donuts, you can become a Ponyo's Friend Club member, at which point you really start raking in goods, including new buttons. Check it out. Patreon.com slash Nicole J. Georges. I, I saw, a cl- I couldn't read the whole thing, but there was an article about how the KGB, or how despair is the design. Yeah. The design is, and this is like a KGB thing, it's just like to assault people with images of really intense, violent, scary things. So they actually, their brains have a sense of overwhelm and they get despair in a way where they are paralyzed from doing anything Mm -hmm. because their body just wants to keep itself safe. Mm -hmm. And so they want to tune out. Can you describe that a little bit? Um, so I'm not, I'm not very familiar with the KGB. Um, it's a little outside of my wheelhouse, but Mm -hmm. I will say that the, um, sort of, uh, the international forces, including, uh, Russian have been orchestrating anti-democratic efforts for many years. This is before 2016, before the 2020 elections, right? This has been, um, so they've wanted to undermine our uh, sort of moral authority in the world and our democracy. And I think in 2016, they really struck on this whole, like, getting Americans to give up in in various ways. And so they, they do, um, there are attempts to flood us with just a sense of, like, everything is so terrible. How could you even make a difference? 
how could it get any better? And so to get people to despair and to give up and to disengage. And I think, I, I assume partially that's their strategy because still in the United States, if people engage and vote, then there is a, a, a change um, and we get different leadership. Um, the other thing that they do is they spread a lot of, so besides the sort of like violent stuff and trying to, and really, um, they really promote the fringe. Um, and so I've had to actually like, so people on the right wing really get caught up in the like, right, like, uh, child trafficking, right? They think that this is a Mm. left wing wing thing. Um, and, uh, like a a bunch of just like wacky conspiracies, um, about sort of the left side. We on the left are also getting targeted and we're less aware of it because they target us with things we want to believe. Right. And so, um, I've seen things on, oh, what was it? Oh, there was that image of, like, Hitler holding up a Bible that, like, looked just like the Trump image that was faked. Like, that wasn't a real image. Um, There's, like, different things that are supposed to, like, really, like, gin us up. And, like, you know, so, and it's, I think it's, well, you know, I think it's harder for us because they really are as crazy as the Russians make them sound sometimes. But... You know, there is this whole idea of, like, make people believe that there's just no use anymore. There's no use in trying. Um, oh, and the the other thing that they're trying to do is get us to just not believe that our democracy works. That um, that voting is a farce. That it doesn't matter. It's already decided. Or, you know, your vote doesn't count. And all of that sort of messaging really plays right into the hands of the Russians and a lot of the like, don't trust the outcomes and like voting cheating and all of that stuff. Um, I will say like our election systems are like very close to the same ways, the same structures they were uh, at the turn of the last century. Um, And so like it's, there's a lot of sort of like show up at a place, fill out a paper. There's some people in an office will count all the papers and they'll tell somebody else and some like, it's a very sort of decentralized system that can be irritating and frustrating at times because it's kind of like Byzantine and arcane, but it's also actually really hard to cheat the system. Um, And the biggest, like really, if you want to talk about the biggest cheat to the system is the number of people who through different sort of uh, uh, rules and legislative things get prevented from voting, whether it's, you know, the, people who can't get the right kind of identification to be able to be counted when they, you know, show up to try to cast their vote or um, people who are uh, required to meet like a bunch of different standards. A great example of sort of gaming the system is last uh, election in 2018, Stacey Abrams running against Kemp in Georgia for governor, right? He was the secretary of the state, secretary of state at the time. And what does he do right before the election? He purges the voter rolls. He takes tens of thousands of people, mostly, you guessed it, black and brown people, off the voter rolls and says, you're no longer registered to vote. You want to vote in this election, you have to re-register. And in that process, disenfranchises thousands of people. Um, I 
volunteered to help call people in Georgia after the election to help them if their ballots were getting um, not counted for some reason, if they like needed to go in and say like, yes, that was me that voted that, or, you know, yes, I'm still alive. Um, they, uh, they had like lists of just like thousands and thousands of people who were just like, had voted and for some reason like the uh the state didn't want to count their ballots and so people will intentionally disenfranchise people and that i think is the real election cheating not that anybody is showing up and trying to vote twice well do you have any last last notes last messages you want to give listeners probably a lot of queer people probably Mm -hmm. a lot of people that are in the same political sphere believe the same things that we do but that are experiencing all these overwhelming messages all the time well, I would say over the next over the next couple of weeks, we are likely to get a new Supreme Court justice, and it is likely to be a very uh, sad moment for a lot of us. Um, but don't give up, because the justices don't make the laws; they interpret them. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to minimize that like this new justice will be be bad, and there will be. Um, there will be real suffering as, as a result of it, but if we elect people who want to do good and want to you know, expand our civil liberties and want to protect people and want to make sure we have access to healthcare, then we will be able to pass legislation to make those things happen. And so the real power is in electing the people who make the decisions. And then yes, we're gonna have to fight like hell in the courts and it's gonna suck. Um, and it's, it's going to be hard, but it's not, it's not the end. And it's just another chapter to get through. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. What's your one-liner? Laughing at Republicans for being hypocrites is like laughing at an alligator for not wearing pants. They don't care, and they'll eat you. So we should just stop like pretending this is about principles or uh, mocking them for not sticking to the standards they set four years ago because that's not what this is about. It's, it's not about principles. It's about brute force and power and... Um, yeah.